Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. It's so uh, it's a joy to get to be here uh, with you all tonight uh, to get to yeah continue in the book of Matthew that you've been walking through. Um, you know, just a little bit about uh, about myself. My my family and I we moved here in 2007 to be a part of of planting a church. So there's a very kindred spirit to Hope Church and in your heart towards. Uh, both uh, seeing the gospel uh, through a new work in this city, and uh, a few years ago had a, the joy of getting to meet Rob as uh, that team was moving here and, and, and part of that formation. And so part of that relationship and friendship has continued. And so uh, it's, just, it's just a joy to get to be here with you and just be a part of, I, I think tonight, hopefully being encouraged through God's word, through part of what he has uh, to say about uh, who he's calling us to be as his people and a part of that invitation to live that out. Uh, I've, I've been married to my wife, Erin, so it'll be 22 years in August uh, 25th, so we'll celebrate 22 years. Yeah, pretty excited about that. Thank you. Yeah. We're, um, we have three kids that uh, we're 17, 15, and 13. My wife and my, our youngest, they're at China Camp. Had no idea that thing, that even existed. That was a uh, so we're, our youngest is adopted from China. That's how you get to go to China camp. You need, it's, it's a little, I guess you could show up if you're not. It's probably interesting. But um, yeah, they're having just a great time. Love um, uh, just as part of her story and, and getting to foster that. But a lot of our time right now uh, is with our older kids. And I, for those of you with younger children, or you've, you've, you can relate to this, at some point, if you, have, if you have children, someone told you the moment you got pregnant, well, good luck. Kind of like, you'll never sleep again. Like, they give you, like, the kiss of death, right? It's like, it's like oh my gosh, like this, I thought this was supposed to be, like, a beautiful thing. And it's like, yeah, it's hard, right? It's hard, but it's, uh, but it's, a, really, it's a really good thing as well. There's, there's beautiful things and hard things. And I would say the same thing about our teenagers right now. Like, I wouldn't trade a thing right now. It is really hard. Our, our kids are navigating some really hard things, but I love, I love that we get to walk with them in some of the spaces and nuances of things that they're juggling and navigating. I just encourage you as parents, um, it, for those that go, well, good luck, those teenagers are just going to you know, run all over you. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, it, can be, it can be joyful, uh, and uh, you can foster. I just want to encourage you to keep pursuing the hearts of your kids. Never stop. Never stop. Even when they're out of the house. You get, it looks different, but we get to keep pursuing the hearts of our, of our kids. So that's kind of the phase where we are right now. My wife's pursuing the heart of my daughter, and I'll go home tonight with pizza and pursue the other heart of the other two. <laughs> so it's kind of what that looks like uh, for us. So if you see me leaving shortly after here, I've promised them daddy's coming home with pizza. I've got them you know, 17 and 15 in the same space in the same amount of time. It's a treasure, so I'm going to try to try to enjoy that, but yeah, so we're looking at uh, tonight part of uh, Matthew 13, and uh, so if you have your Bible, if you want to go to Matthew 13, uh, I, I love that this is part of what Jesus is talking about, and this is his words, he's, he's talking about the kingdom, and it's something that he actually talks a lot about. He talks a lot about this throughout the book of Matthew. He, in fact, uh, we, we see not only in Matthew, we see that uh, shortly after his resurrection, it says that he spent 40 days. You're thinking, like, he's here for 40 days. What's he doing? Like, he, he should have been doing, like, a church planting class on, like, best methodologies or structures or something. No, he's actually teaching people continually. He says he was just teaching about the kingdom. What's it look like? What is his kingdom like? And what does it look like to be these people, these kingdom people? Uh, it was so much that he talked about. And maybe some of you know this. You know what it's like, uh, people that talk a lot about the same things like over and over again. Uh, for some, I have friends who like, it's their dog or their pet. 
and you know maybe that like so much so that like they love they it their animal now has like an Instagram account or something like they they don't they don't they don't just love it they need you to love it right like they want you to enjoy that with them children some of the same things I remember before we had kids hearing people talk about their kids and thought good lord and then I remember the first time my daughter laughed like she giggled and I thought oh my gosh like and then I went to work the next day and couldn't talk quit talking about the first time my daughter giggled. Uh, one of the gentlemen I work with, he's now a grandfather. He has five grandchildren. He talks about them all the time. He talks about his grandkids all the time. It's actually been infectious. I'm, act, I'm not ready to be a grandfather. But I'm looking forward to that state. I'm going, man, like, ah, that, that's going to be a treasure. It'll be, it'll be something to, to really enjoy. And, and so, uh, you know, the, th- the things we talk a lot about tend to be the things we really care about, the things that are really treasure to us are very important. And Jesus is talking a lot about the kingdom. I think that's important for us to, to just mark for a second because it, it, throughout the Gospels, he talks over 121 times about the kingdom. He talks two times about church. Now let that sink in for a minute. That, that it's not to devalue the gathering, but there's much more about what it looks, looks like to be his people. And, and now granted, the, the church was not, it wasn't until Acts that the church is actually formed and is going, he's, but he's teaching about these principles of how significant they are. And the church, as they would form, what they're doing is continuing, continuing to remind each other about what it looks like to be these people. And so Jesus comes to us in these parables. You, you would have been looking at these before, and you, if you're familiar with the idea of a parable, it's the... It's really what he's talking about. It's, it's not that it's a true story. It's an, it, the whole idea is that it's going to help us get a window into a principle or a truth about what he's talking about. Uh, and, and so when, and the idea of the, the kingdom is so, it's really so vast. It's, it's, I mean, it, to understand it, it's, it's powerful. It's eternal. It's, it's, it transcends us. And, and so it needs a lot of different angles of, of parts of where he is actually speaking and trying to share with us what it is. Um, and it's just, it's something that, uh, it's something that when he talks about often, the kingdom is something that is, uh, that it, it's here. As he stands before him, the kingdom's present, the kingdom's in him. And then there's other moments he'll talk about the kingdom's in you. And, and then behold the kingdom, it's this it, it's both with us, it's both in us, and it's here, it's not yet, it's, it's this... It, it is this vast, um, really beautiful uh, picture of his rule and reign in all things. And some of you can relate to this, this idea of something that's just kind of hard to understand unless you're like, unless you're before it. Like, how many of you have seen a picture or video of the Grand Canyon? All right, it's probably all of us, right? We've seen that. How many of you have had the opportunity to stand in front of the Grand Canyon? Okay, so some of you, have, you've been able to stand there in front of it. Um, it's one of those things that, like, I could describe it. I could show you a picture, and you'd get an idea. You'd get a picture and glimpse of it. But then when you stand in front of it, and it's, it's just, it just does something way different than any picture or any video can behold, like, to actually be before it and, and get that, uh, that image um, I remember traveling there with a group of guys. We were uh, younger then, and we're hiking uh, into the Grand Canyon. And we were all—I mean, it was the van was loud. There's ten of us in this van. You imagine what it smelled like. But we're we're driving, and it is—it's just rambunctious. It's loud. And then we pull up to the to the edge, and we get out. And for like 15 minutes, nobody talked. 
everybody just kind of scattered. And it was just like silence, because you're, you're beholding like, the significance of this. And it's, there's some part of this of Jesus as he's trying to give so many different perspectives and understanding of what the kingdom is. It's why you'll hear him talk so much about it and give so many different uh, pictures into it to try to help us understand more of what this is. And so um, tonight we're in Matthew 13, verse 31. Uh, it, it's, it's giving a story of this mustard seed and, and, and leavened bread, and, and, we'll, and we'll look further into that. But let's, let's read there in, in verse 31. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, see, uh, mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the bird of the air come, birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And, and this first part, we, uh, even just as it ends there, we see that part of the, prof, excuse me, part of the parables that Jesus is sharing is part, in part to actually fulfill prophecy of who Jesus is, this Messiah that would come. And I say put a, like a note there. If you're, if you're looking and trying to understand more about who Jesus is, one of those ways is understanding how he fulfilled so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, he is actually fulfilling those throughout his ministry, throughout his life. Uh, and I th- it's quite spectacular if you actually go and study and look at how many of those he fulfilled. Uh, he fulfilled all of them. Uh, to the point some would go, okay, well, some, some could do this, some could do that, but to fulfill all of these things, uh, really it's one of those kind of uh, apologetic kind of looks at who Christ is uh, and understanding more of, of why we look at him and go, yes, this is the Son of God. This is who he said he is. But to focus more on just the parable itself, and to think about this mustard seed, this, this parable of um, this mustard seed that's being planted in the ground and growing to this tree, you know, this, the mustard seed, I love this analogy because it's the smallest of the seeds, which honestly, you know, when we compare the size of that seed to other seeds, um, just if you didn't know anything else, you would probably come to the conclusion, well, that seed's probably not going to grow to be very much in comparison, right? If we just compare the seed to the other seeds, because the mustard seed, like, it, it just fits barely on your finger. It's so tiny if you saw it. it, it, is, it, it and when you think about sometimes just this, how significantly small it is compared to how significant it becomes, it says it actually becomes a tree that is larger than all of the other plants of the garden. As we're thinking about some of these principles of this kingdom idea that God's trying to bring for us, it's this. The kingdom of God says there's power and significance in the small. There's power and significance in the small. In other words, there's actually there's no small act of obedience in the kingdom. There's no small thing tonight here for any of you in this room when it comes to what God can and wants to do through you. And what may seem small to you where you are is actually one of the best steps of just obedience to seeing whatever God has next. I think likely in every heart tonight's a question, am I or can I? 
make a difference? How am I really, do I have really ability to make any kind of impact? I mean, I feel like this really small seed. I think about, maybe, it, maybe it's part of your story, maybe it's part of what you've done, it's part of your past, it's part of your, uh, your limitations of some sort. You're looking, how can I really do something? And, we com- and what, what we do is we compare ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to what we know about ourselves. We look at others, we think, man, there's no way I could do what he or she does. We feel less than. Or maybe we allow uh, maybe what our definition of success to be to determine how big, because it's based upon maybe how big something is or becomes or how well-known it is. But Jesus comes to us, and this is what he does consistently when we look at part of the kingdom. He takes a lot of the way we see things, and he just flips it on its head. He goes, no, part of significance and power actually comes in very small places. It comes in a very small step of uh, and, but where that happens is not where the seed is of itself while it has potential. The seed has to go in the ground. For the seed to have power, it must be actually planted. It will never grow unless it gets planted. Tonight, there's some place, there's some space in your life where God is just calling you to take a step. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know who it's with. I don't know what it's towards. But it's his voice. If you'll ask him, if you'll listen, if you'll, if you'll actually come before him and spend time, there's some place. And we're tempted to think it's not significant. We're tempted to think it actually doesn't have that much potential. But that small step and place of obedience, God wants to blossom. He wants to continue to fan. Now, what for? There's potential in that seed, but... What to what end? I, I, I love that in this. Don't miss this. It says, so that, why? Why, is, why do we want to see this tree grow? So that the birds of the air might come and build nest. There's something that God wants to do in you and through you, but it's not about you. In the end, part of this kingdom work is not even just about you. While it's not about you, the story is not your tree got bigger. Your thing got bigger. And look at me, it actually is, the whole idea of those, those birds is there's a people and there's, a, there's something that needs refuge. It needs a home. There's some work that God's doing in you so that others might get to experience home, might get to experience hope, ultimately might get to experience Christ. Now, so for where that begins to hit for us, not just in a, it's just more than just a sermon, this is, where, where you are in your life. Each, each one of you has some place of influence. How do you use your platform, your influence, to help uh, not just grow your thing, not just make your name better, not just make your thing better, but how are you giving it away? How are you helping uh, with others in those places? I love that he, he told him about uh, another parable in verse 33, that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid three measures of flour till it was all leavened. There's not just significance in the small. Like, if you, if you know, I, I don't know, I've never made bread. I love eating it. I, I, I love eating all kinds of bread. I've never made it. But I understand the, the nuance of, like, how the, the bread needs, um, what it needs to actually help rise. Up. But it only takes just a little bit of the flour in the bread. It doesn't take much. In comparison to what, what is there, it gets worked through the hole and it influences and makes everything rise. 
There's not just significance in the small, but there's power in the small. There's power in, in, in the places where God has you. What we think is that when we think that maybe we only affect maybe a small area, it's, the truth is we influence and we have ability to trans, be a transforming agent, agent across all domains of areas where we live, learn, work, and play. Hope Church, you're, you're not, you are not 6 p.m. on Saturday night. It's not who you are. It's just it's when you gather together. You, you are a people spread across the city. You're spread across different neighborhoods, schools, workplaces. Your small steps of obedience, of asking God, where inside of these places and spaces are you calling me to just trust you, to take a step, to place that seed in the ground that you want to see something grow for others, not my name. How do you want to do that? How, Lord, how do you want to do that in my home, in my relationships with my family, my wife, my husband, my kids, my extended family, my neighborhood? Maybe it's in the school. Maybe it's in your workplace. And how the kingdom will be de- demonstrated and displayed as part of that, as part of that flower working how we're going to be, that's how we're going to actually see gospel saturation through our city and through our places. And, and Jesus knew that. He's going, hey, there's not just a significance in these small things. There's a power in you because the kingdom is in you. And it has those abilities. And so we do that, though, so that others might find hope, might find relationship with King Jesus. I think about a guy I met recently. His name's Mark. Mark runs a, an ice cream store downtown Charleston. And to know part of Mark's story, uh, five years ago, he was selling bonds and different things on Wall Street and just was just burned out, burned out with the lifestyle. He and his wife had visited Charleston and decided, uh, I want to do something different. Part of getting through that life that he had there in New York was he would come home and make ice cream. He would come home and t- test different flavors and different recipes, and they got really good at it. And he said that when they moved to Charleston, his goal, five stores around Greater Charleston, a house on the beach, and a Maserati. And I thought, okay, like, a, how, how's that going? Well, then he goes on to tell me, well, at six months in, my marriage started faltering. I didn't know the Lord. And through a relationship, a family relationship, uh, he was led to the Lord. And, and, and part of to hear that story now as I'm sitting with Mark, he goes, here's my goals now. To be home by 5 o'clock, to have dinner with my wife and our newborn. He goes, I, honestly, I could care less if we have another store. Um, but what I do care about right now, he goes, I, I employ 20 people in our store. And I care about those 20 people. And I'm trying to figure out how to influence and be a light to them, how to have them in our home he goes, I'm opening up our store early in the morning for people that want to do a Bible study here or different things. He goes, and he's starting to meet with other small business owners to just go, hey, how's God maybe calling you? What's that small step of obedience that God's maybe calling you to just trust your work, your platform, your influence with others for the kingdom and for, uh, so that it's not just about his tree, right? It's not just about him. He's trying to think, how do I influence or help others? There are marks spread across this room, and it looks different. You're going, I don't sell ice cream. I'd love to sell ice cream. Um, but it's something different. And it doesn't, it's not about comparison. It is about trust and obedience to whatever God is calling you towards. But it's going to take all of those little steps of trust that we're actually going to see God working through our city. That's the people he's calling us to. 
Well, it continues on. Uh, we jump to verse 44. The parable, this is kind of the parable of the hidden treasure. I love this. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of, of pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, a little background on both of these, because I think it's important to understand, because it may either seem a little unique or maybe not as powerful, but during this time, it, you, people didn't have banks. They didn't, if, you, you had, if you had gold or you had any kind of thing of value, you didn't have a place to go keep it. it was, you typically hid it somewhere either in your home or you actually would go bury it somewhere uh, and, and store it or, or hide it that way to keep it uh, away from others. And uh, sometimes people would do that, people would die. And then, then it's unknown <laughs> where that is until you stumble upon it. And so it's not, it was not uncommon for people to actually stumble upon treasures, uh, upon things that people had hidden. And so it's somewhat familiar, Same, very similar to the pearl. Uh, in this time, actually, pearls would have had even more value, value than what we think of now. Pearls maybe are a little more common, much less common during this time. So just the aspect of the value and commonality of some of these, I think is helpful to, to grasp. But what is important uh, as we look at both of these is both of these men have these epiphany moments where I don't know how long they looked at the treasure. I don't know how long he gazed upon the pearl. I'm not sure how long he did, but he spent some time there. And what, what is, he sees something that no one else sees. He gets to see the significant value. And, but it's going to, in order to get it, it's going to take them letting go of everything in order to get this thing of supreme value that they see. And then once, he, once they get it, though, I love this. Once they get it, it's well worth the sacrifice. I don't know, do you feel that a little bit? Like when you're reading that, like, and they went and sold everything, and you're like, oh, that's a cool story. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God that's not me. Like, there's that, because there's, we, man, don't we love holding on to stuff? Like, there's, there's mine. There's what I've worked for. There's, but don't lose the fact that somehow he, he evaluated what it was <laughs> and said, worth it. Go, I got to go sell everything. That difference right there is part of what we're talking about. Because I, I, I feel that. When I read this, I'll be honest, my selfishness, I think of the things I have, the things I, it's mine. I want to take care of it. Like to, to think of, and that's like just possession. Some, that can become so many other things as well, of the way people see me, the way people think, or um, that we're not willing to sell in order to receive this, what Jesus has given. What I love is that Jesus is not saying you can come, you can earn the kingdom of heaven. Rather, it's how you receive the kingdom of heaven. The first parable is a lot more how we live out as a kingdom people. This one is much more how do we enter into the kingdom? What does it look like to, to be a people that enter into the kingdom? There's something you must do to receive, but there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's something we do to receive it, and it looks like surrender. It looks like surrender. Uh, if you're taking some notes here, I, I, the other part I would, that I think we see of this principle of this kingdom is uh, God invites us to give up our small ambitions. 
our small ambitions. And what do I mean by that? Often when we, what this tells us something about the gospel is that our missions often and our ambitions are often way too little until the gospel comes and gets us. Until it comes and gets us, we're really just this, we're really this kind of shrunken, pitiful people. We, we neither know how awful or how wonderful the gospel really is. Until we know it, we really don't even know how, what it's actually calling us to and what it's costing or actually even what we get. And, and, and that's for all of us. Ordinarily, for most of us, we, we come before God and um, as, as we're approaching God, maybe for the first times, there's some part maybe where we're looking for some spiritual reality in a way where we, we recognize some need. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's, that's part of your story you can relate to. Maybe that's you tonight. You're, you're here and you're going, I'm here because I just I feel like God's saying like I need something, and I feel like I do. I feel like I need him, and uh, I can relate to that. I remember being a, a student in college. I was engaged to this young lady, and our relationship was a wreck, it was an absolute wreck. And I found myself on a mission trip with a group of people to Daytona Beach. I had no, I mean, the only reason I really went was because because it seemed like um, it seemed like good people, and I thought there was this part of me I just wanted to go. I, I had this need to like fill this God space, and, like to go do something good, but I didn't know Him. And I'm there on this mission trip, and and the Lord just for the first time in my life, I'm re- I'm just I'm like I'm done with how I'd been living my life. I didn't even know what I was saying. I just I just knew I was done. I just knew I was just saying, Lord. I feel like our relationship, if it continues the direction, we'll get married and we'll probably get a divorce. Like, I already felt that way. I already felt that way. And, and I just remember coming and going, Lord, I just want, I don't even know what I want anymore. I don't even know how to want. I don't even, know, I don't even think I can walk this out. Will you just help me? I, just, I knew I, there was something of need that I had, and I couldn't do it anymore. There, there's just these initial steps of just some surrender what I had no idea was to think what he would continue to call me to surrender. And I certainly had no idea what glorious things that he was going to bring before. Part of the gospel, it's so much, it, it exposes so much more of actually what, um, how depraved we are, but also how much more beautiful there is. Ordinarily, the first time we approach God, we're looking for this. We feel some weakness, some need. Here's the thing, the gospel We'll not just let you know you need something, because we're not just a sufferer, we're, we, we're, we're a sinner. We ultimately need salvation. It's much bigger than that, right? We don't just like need some help. We actually need, we, we need to be rescued. That's the significant, it sways us one side where, hey, I thought I yeah, kind of need something. It's like, no, 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 you need to admit so much more. We need to come before him and admit that we ultimately need him fully. But on the other hand, the gospel says, what do you want? Well, I thought, well, I just needed some help guiding this relationship. But God's going, no, 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 I have something so much better for you, so much more. We're usually willing to admit a little bit because we want to get some strength, we want some help. But the gospel's saying, give up these small ambitions. Long more for, we have ability to long for more of what he has in store. If, we, if you give yourself to, king, to the king of heaven, he will, he'll make us into this divine this divine new creature. He's, he's, this Corinthians passage that uh, the old is gone, the new has come, we're now this new creation in Christ. It's like this new identity. It's part of, part of who we are. I love how Keller, Tim Keller says this, that this, 
part of this glorious create, uh, creation that we're becoming, God's making us into, if we actually saw, it says, if, so much so that if we actually saw this future self in light of what God will ultimately transform us into, we might be tempted to actually fall down and worship ourselves. That's part of the work that God's doing in us. That's not right, but it's part of what God is doing in you. It's part of what, as he's sanctifying us. In other words, the gospel is saying your ambitions and ambitions are too small. It's far more terrible and wonderful than you know. It does, does not say we try harder. You admit you need God and try harder. You know, or admit a little bit and get a little bit. No, the gospel says part of this passage is it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything. Everything has to go. We've got to sell everything. And that feels like radical bad news. Everything has to go. But on the other hand, it's radical good news. Why is it radical good news? Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, Paul says, what God has prepared for those who love him. It doesn't compare. Whatever it is tonight that is keeping you from surrendering something to the Lord, it does not compare to the glorious riches of Christ. I'm not talking about things I'm talking about relationship, wholeness, becoming more like him. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. um, He says, this is his words, he says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. So you can kind of imagine yourself as an individual, your house. God's coming to do some work. He's coming to rebuild it. So you've got some, imag- I want you to imagine what, what he's about to do to your house. All right, what's he about to do with you? So he says, at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. So there's probably some things that need some fixing, all right? So part of you going like, okay, here's probably a few things in my life he's going to come and kind of make right. Like they've been broken a little bit. They've been unattended to. He's making them right and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. No big surprise. Like those, are, those are probably some things. But presently, says he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. Some of you walk and are walking in this space. He walks in the house, and he starts, he starts changing things significantly. He starts, he starts doing demo. It's like demo day. He's knocking things, but it's not fun. Because you don't know what he's up to, and it hurts. And it doesn't seem like it makes sense anymore. What was making sense now doesn't make sense, and he's at work. And what on earth is he up to, Lewis says. The explanation, he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought, that one you thought of. It's different. It's a different house than what you thought. There's a work of something he's trying to create and mold in you, and we, that's part of looking like surrendering. There's a work he's doing, but what is it? I love this picture. He says he's throw. Here's what he's doing. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. Why? So that people can look at your house? You feel better about your house? No. It's because he intends to come and live in it himself. He's intending to come and do a work in and through. He's making you more like himself. 
This isn't about things. This isn't about possessions. This is about knowing about the power and the work of what it looks like to surrender and behold him. You just, for most of us, we just wanted God to show up at the house. It was just nice to have him around. <laughs> maybe to visit, help, you know, and preferably kind of get us maybe through a hard spot. Job loss, family situation, struggle. Maybe you just need a little extra help, help to go to church, be inspired. What's this saying? He's saying, I want everything. I will turn you into a palace. He demands far more from us and offers us, though, far more to us than we can ever imagine. Um, and this, these principles of this kingdom people is so important because it's, it's part of who we are as we walk out these doors in just a few minutes. It, it's, it's part of what is it in front of you right now that as the kingdom As Jesus is speaking, he's trying to bring in this understanding of what it means to walk as a kingdom people. It's it's understanding that it's a change in dimension and essence, not quantity and degree, to be a kingdom person. Meaning, we often think as quantity and degree people. I once came to church a couple times, now I'm coming more. I'm doing better. I once didn't really read my Bible a whole lot, now I'm reading it more. That's degree. And quantity. That's not bad. To walk as kingdom people is to understand part of the essence of who you are. Who we are. Who we are as we walk. As we, uh, and to understand that as a kingdom, we've been transformed. That's part of how we get to walk. And we, and we begin to think and walk those out differently. To make the change, to, to receive the kingdom as part of this passage requires unconditional surrender. We have to sell everything. And, and so I say this, some of this carefully because it, can be, it can, can maybe be hard to hear. When, when we're ready to come into the kingdom, what Jesus taught is that to be a Christian, we understand we have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. John 3.16, right? That he for, loved, for so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Forever believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he's talking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And to enter in is the willing to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And you say, because you've saved me because of what you have done, not me. He saves us because of what he's done. And I can be accepted, not because of anything I do, therefore I want to be my King and Lord. The fact of the matter is when we enter the kingdom of God, we realize we don't have, we, we really, for many of us, we, in, I'm, from that moment stepping in at Daytona, I had, no, I had a percentage, a half percent understanding of what God was ever going to do. What he was going to actually begin to call my life into. If he had shown me um, in March of 1998, that I would stand in front of a people like you with a Bible open and share, I would have said, oh, no. No, thank you. Um, I, I would have rethought whatever was happening in that moment, probably. But isn't he so good? He just kind of reveals as we walk with him. He begins, like, it's a step. It's a relationship of step where he's going, hey, right now, will you trust me here? Will you surrender this? Will you let go of this and trust me? And there's a place right now for each one of us where he's calling us to just trust and allow him to work. Um, it means that 
It means that you look at anything in your life and you say nothing is more important to Jesus to me. If it's a choice between that and Jesus, if it's a choice between that and Jesus or that and Jesus, I will suffer the loss of anything to keep Jesus. It, it means that, you know, what I'm not saying, or, or rather, let me, let, me, let me say this, um, you, you may go, I believe that, I understand that, I'm, and you're willing, but, but are you willing, in this example, maybe to even publicly identify yourself with Jesus? Are you afraid to let people know that you're, you're a follower of Jesus? And I don't, I don't, what I'm not saying is walking out in maybe some kind of unwise or obnoxious kind of way in, in your relationships or, um, um, or, or being insensitive or making just an effort to make others angry to make sure that uh, they know that you walk with Jesus. I don't, I don't know if that sounds like walking with Jesus, if that's your intent. Um, but what I'm talking about is, are there moments where you care more about your image than, than if Jesus is important to you in your life and how that's demonstrated and displayed? If so, then it's our image we're unwilling to sell. It, it's it's part, of, part of how people see us. The same could be said about our money. The same could be said about our sexuality. The things that, uh, what, what is it that is keeping us. If you say, I'm willing, but if I have to do that with my money or my sec- have to do that with my sexuality, then I'm unwilling. Then you're just, you're unwilling to sell it. You're unwilling to, to there's an unwillingness because you're, you're looking at what you have and you're doing and you're going, the treasure's not worth it. The treasure's not worth it. The same happens when we say, I will obey God if... What is on the other side of if? What's on the other side of if is something that you're not willing to sell. And that's, this isn't like condemning. This is more, this is us. This is all of us. There's something right now for all of us that we're going, Lord, I just, I think I love it more. I just think I love it more. And the, but as his kingdom people, he's going, I want you to think, I want you to reflect, I want you to reckon and count how precious and how great the treasure is. Because when we do that, whatever's in front of us, the value begins to change. It begins to change. I love how it says that it says that in his joy, he went and sold everything. It wasn't the other. It wasn't like he came like crying and then he saw that, oh, this is working out. Now I'm getting happy. No, it's like it was in his joy. Somehow, how does he do that? It's because he, he sits and he looks at the prize. He looks at the treasure. And he goes, it's worth it all. There's this reckoning and counting. It's the same thing we see Paul do. It's the same thing Paul is doing when, he, when he's counting, his, he's, he's looking at all that he's walked through. He counts it up. He thinks about being shipwrecked, tortured, snake bitten. He counts it up. He reckons and he says, it's worth it compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus, to getting to walk with him. Somehow all that's worth it. How does he get there? Because he takes time and he counts it up. He takes time and he thinks about it. He meditates on it. He thinks about how precious the prize is. And everything else begins to diminish. Joshua 7, there's a story of Achan. And this is kind of the same principle, but in the negative. 
It's part of the, the taking or sacking of Jericho. God did not want any of the plunder to be taken, rather to be put in the treasury. But Achan, he gets tempted. He's in a place in Jericho, and he says, I saw a wonderful robe from, from a Babylonian robe, 200 shekels or silver, a wedge of gold that weighed 50 shekels. He's, he's, he's eyeing these things. He's supposed to have brought them to the treasury, but now he's looking on them. He says, I coveted them, and I hid them in my heart. What we have here is in this negative mo- model is what it means to treasure something. He's been looking at it. How does he know it's, from ba- it's a Babylonian robe? He's been looking. <laughs> He's been eyeing it. He's been evaluating. How does he know how much it is or how much it weighs? It, time. He has spent time. It says, I looked and saw a robe from Babylonian it means it took a while for him to fall into temptation. It took him a while for him for this stuff to start to capture his heart. It, he looks and describes, which means he's reckoned with it. He's been counting it up. He sat there. He thought about it. He weighed it up. He reflected on it. He reflected on it until he found himself lusting after it to the point that he reflects on it until he's willing to actually risk his life and everything that it would mean for, the, for, the, for the, their people. It says, I coveted it. And then I hid it. Now, this is a negative example of this. But what it looks like to treasure is exactly what Paul is doing when he's reckoning and he's counting up how precious it is. It's what you and I can do. It's exactly what these guys are doing in the field and with the pearl. Uh, they're, they're, when they're willing to go liquidate everything with joy, it's because they're reckoning and thinking, this is why, this is why we come. This is why you're here tonight, to reckon to count it up. Is it worth it? Is it still worth it? Is the treasure and the prize still worth it? To keep pressing in. To keep, to keep walking. The things of Christ to, be, to remind each other. To have them sung over one another. To have them reminded to our kids. Not just here, but every day. It's not just, not just here in this moment. It's why part of that reckoning, part of that think is, is part of what we're invited to do every day, whether that's in your morning, your evening, or however you find that space to be thinking upon the beauty of what Jesus did and, until we begin to long after him. It doesn't just happen. For most of us, it's just not going to happen. I, you, and I'm not, you may think, are you calling me, like, do I have to go be a monk in order to do this or not? No, I'm just saying there's nothing more important and practical than counting it up and reckoning on the riches and the prize of who Christ is. John Donne, I love this, this line as he, he's, talking, he's talking to God. He says, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you and thrall me. Never shall be free, never ever chaste, except you ravish me. Until I'm ravished by you, everything else will seduce me. Everything else will come and tempt me. I'll never be impervious to sexual or economic or power seduction until I'm ravished by you, Lord. Until I see the treasure. Until I've bought the pearl. Some may say, maybe you're tonight and you're going, well, I, don't, I hear that. How do I, where do I even start with that? How do I begin? How do I tell... How do I begin into a place uh, where that Christ means that much to me? 
You begin by repenting, I believe, of one of the main problems in our lives. The main problem, I don't believe, is, is our behavior or breaking this rule or that. Our main problem is our lack of love for Jesus. And I join you in that. I join you in that. I'm no different. Repent for the fact that you're not ravished by him. You know what is so wonderful about that as we repent. And I'm not saying don't repent of those other things. There's not a space there. I'm saying that often what we find ourselves doing is repenting of some of our actions and we just find ourselves in a, this cycle and we never actually get to a root of what's going on. But what's wonderful about as you repent, if you sit down and say, Dear Lord, um, I repent that I'm not ravished with the fact that you love me like you do. What's wonderful is that actual repentance for the lack of love is the repentance that starts to soften, starts the softness process. It's repentance for the lack of love that starts love. Some of you know this if you've ever had a quarrel with your spouse or a loved one. When you repent for the lack of being loving, it's love. That's actually an act of love to come and say, like, so one of the most loving things that you can do before the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling in the way that I love you. I'm struggling to actually find the value of how significant you are right now. And somehow that begins to love. There's, there's nothing that starts to melt our hearts like repentance. It's part of, I believe that's part of what these gentlemen as they counted the cost, as they saw how precious the prize was and were willing to go and sell everything. You may, if I asked you, well, is it worth $500? You would say, what's it? And I would, if I said, well, it's a screwdriver, you would go, no, that's probably, that's not worth $500. Um, if I told you, well, it's a brand new, it's a brand new Lamborghini. We got, I don't know, whatever your thing is. Um, I, we could go $10,000, okay? It's $10,000, and it's a brand-new Lamborghini. Because uh, for most of us, you'd go, okay, I don't have $10,000, but if you give me an hour, I'll be back. Like, you're going to, at some point, somehow, you're going, something, because of its value, you know, like, oh, this thing's worth way more than that. You're, you're selling something. You're finding some way, right? Because you just count, you know how much it costs. And it's part of what Jesus is coming to. And he's going, guys, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed. It's always worth it. I don't know what it is for you tonight that God's calling you to surrender and lay down. Maybe for you it's that first place of time of surrender where you're going, God, I just want to I, I just lay down my life. I, I just want to walk with you. For some of you, that's, it's the, like the 2,000th time of you going, God, here's another place in my life. You're just calling me to surrender. I pray that we'll do that tonight, even as we sing here, as we close. You know, reminded, I think, of these first parables. There's significance and power in the small. There's no small part of that in what you'll do tonight, whatever God's saying to you. For you to be obedient in that small thing Jesus has been calling you towards. 
I'd encourage you maybe tonight, if that's you, to share it with someone. Maybe someone you walk, you came here with, someone you meet with. If there's some place or something God's calling you towards, have them pray with you. Have them ask you how that's going. And I believe that our invitation nights give up our small ambitions. The treasure Christ is, is worth selling it all for. Maybe for some, I'll join you in this, is our lack of love often for him and to commit to continue to reckon and count the cost of the treasure that Christ is uh, to us as we walk as his kingdom people. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you for the joy of just getting to be here, uh, Lord, with, with Hope Church. God, you are, thank you that you, there's a, a work that you desire to do in every single one of us. God, there's no story too far gone. There's no uh, situation too far gone. God, that your, your hand, um, God, that your word doesn't, doesn't speak to, that, Lord, you don't redeem, that you don't bring power and significance to. There's nothing too small uh, either, God, in a step of obedience tonight that, Lord, I pray that you would bring some of that to, Lord, to heads and hearts, if it's not tonight, over the weeks to come. Um, Lord, just places to trust you. Um, Lord, thank you for the influence of the people here, uh, not just in this community as a, as a corporate body, but as uh, individuals and families and the neighborhoods they represent and the places they are. God, may uh, they continue to be like that leavened bread, Lord, that it would, um, Lord, it would rise. Lord, that it would continue to influence and shape uh, the lives of others and where they live, learn, work, and play. So God, thank you. Pray for this church family and the work you're doing in it. Pray these things in your name. Amen.